0: Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Friday Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Copernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association.
1: And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Friday Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday.
0: Well, today we're going to have a... Uh fascinating conversation about, uh, vouchers. So,
1: and by fascinating, uh, it may be blood boiling, but (laughs)
0: whatever (laughs) I substitute fascinating for when I don't want to say bad words. Um, we're joined today by, uh, Amanda Ewing, who is, uh, the lead of our legislative and political organizing team. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. And Scott Demaro, who's president of the Ohio Education Association. Good morning, Scott. Uh, good morning. Um, so let's talk first sort of what we have coming up here in Oklahoma and then we want to visit with Scott about kind of what, lo- what that looks like if it, if it happens here. So Amanda, give us a preview of the legislative session, which starts Monday.
2: Well, we have, uh, more voucher bills to fight than, uh, ever in my career at OEA. Wow. Uh, so for at least a decade or so, we've got 10 bad voucher bills we have to kill. Um, you know, beyond that, there are bills attacking OEA's ability to payroll deduct dues, uh, members' bargaining rights, uh, and and real importantly, there's a bill trying to take away pensions from new teachers coming into the profession. Because
1: that makes sense for recruiting and <sighs> retention. We can't we can't even go down that
0: path today. We still are mentally processing this. Um, so. <laughs> So about vouchers, what um, what do those look like? I know that in, in the past there have been um, voucher bills that are sort of cloaked in, oh, we're going to help kids who are bullied. Voucher bills disguised as, oh, we're going to help kids in foster care. Um, what, are, what does that look
2: like this year? So we've got those and more. Um, we've got uh, bills to provide a voucher for a family if a child is uh, a child of an incarcerated parent. If their parents is in the armed forces, if they are in foster care, have been bullied, attend a school that uh, got an F on the state report card. And then, um, you know, particularly appropriate or or timely, I guess, is uh, a voucher. If you are concerned, your child will get or give COVID or any other illness to anyone ever.
0: Oh, so everyone, literally all of us. Yes. Everyone.
1: Anyone who's ever come in contact with a germ.
0: (laughs) Oh, my word. Okay. Good times. So, we have, there are a couple of uh, voucher systems that already exist in our state, Amanda. Can you explain those?
2: Sure. So, we have the Lindsay Nicole Henry voucher in place. It's been, we've had it for uh, around 20 years. Uh It's, uh, your child is a student with special needs. You can receive a voucher to go to any private school of your choice, whether or not they um, actually can accommodate your your child and and their needs. And then, you know, all of these bills, including the existing law, I'll remember, it's uh, a voucher for the rest of your uh, life until you graduate from K twelve or turn twenty. 20- Uh, whichever comes first
1: yeah and and is that Um, the one where you sign away your rights to have an iep and to get help if the uh private school doesn't have that
2: are you serious capability oh my word Yeah, a lot of parents emphasize that That when they're making this uh this switch oh
0: my word red flags all the red flags i'm sorry i didn't know that part i'm that is okay go ahead i'm (laughs) sorry
2: what so then we have one other doctor program in law uh, referred to as the equal opportunity scholarship. And this is what we call tax credit vouchers. Okay. So, uh, if, if you are a rich person who wants to donate money to a private school, uh, you can get a tax credit. So your money you donate, uh, is used for scholarships for semi low income, uh, children. Um, we, there's really no accountability or transparency on this. So we don't exactly know who these, you know, scholarships are going to. But you get a really lucrative tax credit here in Oklahoma and then there's actually a federal one you can couple with it so that you oh. uh, you make your, all your money back from, oh your, from your donation to a private school.
1: For mm-hmm. a while there's a federal one, but
0: there's things are changing. I mean how how generous of those organizations yes to share their money that way. Um so the session kicks off with uh, the state of the state by the governor. And um, I am, I'm nervous. I don't, I don't know what he's going to say. Amanda, what is he going to say? How is this going to go? It, is he going to mention vouchers? I, w- I
2: wish I could tell you. I wish I knew what he was going to say, but I am, uh, I'm nervous too, because, you know, there, he's been uh, signaling in a lot of ways in the press lately that uh, it's probably not going to be good. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, we know that when he got his Federal CARES Act money last year, uh, he spent 18 million of it on just giving money to families to attend private school yeah. or to spend on, you know,
3: curriculum Whenever. or
2: technology or whatever. Yeah. Um, so we also know he's been, you know, um, many times critical of OEA and blaming yes. really many of the ills of, you know, um, what's happening in our society right now, the struggles we're having, you know, getting through this pandemic yeah. on union, weirdly enough. Yes. So, you know, we're expecting uh, some strong, as they say, school choice, some strong voucher supporting, you know, private school supporting uh, rhetoric and and maybe some new programs we haven't heard of yet. We're, we're you know, we'll be watching uh, uh, next week at noon on Monday to to find out.
1: Yeah, you know, if, if every time he's opened his mouth in the last two months is a precursor to the um, state of the state, he's going to pit parents against educators and yeah. and talk badly about public schools yeah. and and um, but not do anything to help us or keep us safe. Right. So that that's my um, prediction. <laughs>
0: um, so let's. Scott, talk to us about what um, is going on in Ohio because you you guys see what these kinds of policies look like in real life. Tell us about what's happening there.
4: Well, uh, first off, it is a long story uh, because we have had some form of private school vouchers in the state of Ohio Since 1995, Ohio was the second state in the country uh, to have a voucher law. I think the original one was was in Wisconsin with Milwaukee. Uh, But former governor and then later he was a senator, George Voinovich pushed very hard uh, to get a voucher program that originally was just focused on the city of Cleveland, Mm -hmm. uh, where Mm -hmm. he where he was from and he had been mayor. Um, it was all built around the false narrative that uh, public schools are failing. And yes. so uh, people in those failing public schools, particularly people of color uh, and people in poverty, needed uh voucher as a way to save them uh, from failing public schools. What it was in reality and, and where it clearly started in, in Cleveland was, the private schools were struggling, particularly the mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. Catholic schools in the diocese of Cleveland, you know, had gone to governor Vinovich saying we need the state to help bail us out because, because we're not able to, to sustain uh, what we're doing economically. Wow. And wow. so this narrative was perpetuated. The, the voucher plan was first uh, put in place in the nineties just for that city. But then over the years, uh especially after and, and we took the that voucher plan all the way to the United States Supreme Court with NEA support uh in a 5-4 to four ruling in 2002 uh the Supreme Court upheld the constitutionality of the voucher uh system uh even though the majority of the recipients were were private uh in parochial schools um and after that you know it just kind of opened up yeah. the door to even yeah. more voucher programs so we actually have a total of 5 voucher plans in Ohio. Uh, We have uh, vouchers that are targeted towards autistic students. Uh, We have another voucher plan more broadly uh, targeted to special needs students. Uh, But the biggest voucher program in Cleveland program is still there. The biggest one is what's called EdChoice and EdChoice Expansion. Uh, And these are vouchers that are targeted. uh, One group is for students in school districts that have had low standardized test scores, and so those districts, rather than being supported by the state, are being punished by uh, yeah. having uh, money diverted. Uh, and in fact, the funding uh, comes directly from those districts' uh, foundation aid from the state. What? Uh, and then the other one is targeted towards what? low-income students. So uh, now, and, and it was recently expanded, but now anyone in the state of Ohio. Who is in a family that is uh, below 250 percent of the federal poverty level, which I think is around 65 thousand dollars a year for a family of four, uh, can also qualify for a net choice voucher. Uh, wow. In those cases, those are funded by the state of Ohio.
0: So, I mean, that's a huge. Per- that would be a huge percentage of Oklahoma. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely, I have, I have so many questions today. Go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, Alicia.
1: So. Um, I as well have many many questions um but how ha- i mean talk about how that's affected um the schools and the students where all that money is being diverted yes first of all
3: yeah. is
1: it enough money to even uh pay for a, a a family who has who is in poverty actual poverty not 250% of the poverty line, but real poverty, is is that voucher enough to get them into a uh, private or parochial school and pay for their
4: tuition? Uh, that, you know, that's one of the many problems with the voucher plan is that it is a raw deal for the families that um, that get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, you know, the, the voucher is limited to, uh, it now it's $6,000. Uh, for high school and, and uh, I believe $3,500 for uh, K through eight. Um, and, you know, many private schools, you know, charge tuition far higher yes. than that. Yeah. Uh, so, it, so that means that families are left having to uh, rely on either the school, school coming up with a difference with, with scholarships, which sometimes they do, uh, but often they have to come up with a difference uh, out of pocket. So it doesn't even cover their costs. Yeah. But, but I think the, the other thing is that they, they lose all kinds of protections and all kinds of benefits from being in a public school system.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: for one, uh, people that are, uh, receiving vouchers, uh, don't have all the same rights as, as every other parent in our public schools under the Individuals with Disabilities, mm-hmm. uh, Education Act. So yep. under IDEA, uh, you know, parents can demand, uh, you know, for inappropriate public education that doesn't apply to public to private schools. Yeah. And um and parents essentially waive away their IDEA rights, for, you know, for their students with special needs. Uh that's just one of many problems, but but I think that even bigger than that is this is causing direct harm to kids in our public schools. Yeah. Uh right now the the total cost of, of vouchers and it has just ballooned over the last few years. Uh but in the in last fiscal year, uh, total voucher spending increased to over $400 million oh my uh, in the state of Ohio. Uh, voucher funding on a per-pupil basis is $6,773, when you combine all of those programs together. Uh, and much of that funding, as I indicated, is is coming from the foundation aid of the local public schools where uh, those students would otherwise be be attending. And by the way, in many cases, the kids receiving vouchers haven't spent a single day as students in our public schools. Uh, We are subsidizing families that would have been sending their kids to private schools anyway. Uh, And so what that means is fewer opportunities for the kids in our public schools. It's a a direct uh, economic benefit. And I, I think part of the injustice of the whole thing is that you know, while while the rhetoric behind this, so the, the failing schools narrative, particularly for for communities of color, is that we're going to give you a handout so that you can uh, get into a better school. It actually has the impact of making segregation of our school system even yes. worse yes. because the majority of voucher recipients are white kids. Mm-hmm. And the majority of kids that continue to attend our local public schools, uh, in many cases, are, are students of color. One example in particular is Cleveland Heights University Heights which is a uh, school inner ring suburb outside of Cleveland. Uh they have a uh, lot of private schools there and they they did long before vouchers even existed. Uh there's a strong contingent of Catholic schools there's also it's a strong Jewish community uh and so there's a contingent of Jewish schools. Most voucher recipients now are attending those Catholic and Jewish schools. They're mostly white kids in a community that is, uh, about 50, 50 in terms of its racial diversity. Uh, but the public school district is now about 90% black and brown kids. Wow. Um, it is, it is and segregating our schools. It's making, and, and it's, and it's causing huge problems financially for those districts. They just passed a levy just to not even, Break even from where their funding had been before, and they're having to cut programs. And this is a a really historically uh, high performing public school
3: district.
0: I, um, I mean, this is all terrifying. I mean, for real. And I, I know that other folks might know more about these kind of situations, but that is terrifying to me. And I, there's something that you said earlier that really stuck with me. Rather than support schools in need, we are now like, you are turning around and punishing them, like directly financially punishing them. And that is what I see vouchers, all types of vouchers. And in Oklahoma, that's what I'm scared of. Instead of you know, ours, it, it feels like a lot of these bills use vulnerable populations as human shields. They say, we want to help students who are experiencing homelessness. Well, then help them. Fund, fund programs for them. But
1: Right, they're going to our public schools. They're already in
0: school. We and,
1: have programs for them in schools. And if we had funding.
0: Right. That's what I, that's what I just don't, that's, that's the, the fundamental thing I don't understand, is why not, why not actually help those kids if you care so much about them? help them
4: yeah and that's i mean that's a, an excellent point and i think that's a fundamental problem with the, with the whole concept um but let me let me mention one other thing that i think is important for everybody to know and i think might get the attention uh should get the attention of people who might be inclined to buy into this narrative that that somehow uh private schools are going to give uh kids better opportunities uh that they don't have in public schools. Uh we did an analysis recently, and actually actually it was done wasn't done by us, it was done by uh the Cincinnati Inquirer. Uh did a very detailed analysis of, of voucher programs in the state of Ohio. And they found that in nine of ten cases across the state, students were performing worse academically uh, on state tests uh, in the private schools who are about, you know, students who are voucher recipients attending private schools had lower test scores than the kids in the public schools where they came from. Uh, so they would have been essentially, what? they would have been better off academically. And again, state tests or, you know, we, <laughs> we never yeah. right, right. uh, like right. to, to talk too much about, about, there's all kinds of problems with standardized testing, but, but again, they've used uh, low test scores as the excuse for doing that. Right. And the kids that are getting vouchers are getting lower test scores. Uh, so they're not having their, their needs met. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. you're doing an apples to apples comparison uh, and virtually every do- and that includes, you know, our urban districts uh, and, and, you know, just across all types uh, you know, and we see, again, given the nature of the program, uh, vouchers, which used to be very targeted towards uh, large urban districts, now um, are affecting virtually every district in a stable high. Uh,
0: well, thank you, Scott. That is informative and terrifying. <laughs> it's disturbing on many levels. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amanda, when you when you hear all of that, all of what Scott described and I, to me, I'm just, you know, blinking into the future in Oklahoma. Um, Do you think that folks here understand what, what these bills do? Do you think that everybody is sufficiently afraid of what this can do to hurt our schools?
2: Well, you know, Scott mentioned a few things that I think are really important to point out to folks in Oklahoma to, to make sure we're doing everything we can to stop these bills, you know, uh, specifically there at the end saying that, you know, this is not just an urban issue anymore. These yes. are impacting, you know, rural schools too. I think a lot of our legislators, um, you know, assume that in their small district of small towns, this is not going to be a problem for them because they don't, you know, maybe have uh, a private school right in their sure. community. But, you know, the fact is um, people will uh, move to go to a, you know, religious school accounting over if we're going to make it free. So I do think we need to realize that this is, you know, this is going to impact public schools all across the state. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just the idea that um, sometimes I think we're seen as as a little bit um, saying the sky is falling when we say, no, we don't want to approve this one voucher that might only impact a small community because tomorrow we'll pass another one that'll impact yep. a bigger community yep. and i think it sounds like that's what they saw in ohio and and we're not gonna allow that here so yep. yeah I, I appreciate hearing this i'm i'm really motivated and and i would sure like to remind uh anybody that's listening our, our members or not that um it's time to contact your legislators yep. your representative and your senator and say you know just it's, the session starts on Monday, and I want you to know that uh, I, I would like you to oppose all vouchers of any kind, including the tax credit vouchers, uh, because we need, you know, our money, in our, our public money, in our public schools.
0: Yep. Well, thank you, Amanda. Let's We're going to go. We're all going to make phone calls now. Thank yep. you, Amanda. Thank you, Scott. Yep. Um, and we'll see what happens Monday.
4: Uh, good Shana. being with you, and good, good luck. Fight the good fight.
0: Well, we are joined today by Dr. Sean McDaniel, Superintendent of Oklahoma City Public Schools. How are you, Dr. McDaniel?
3: Hey, I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be with you all today.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us. Well, we uh, we wanted to visit with you about budget issues. Um, there are things that play across the state for all different kinds of districts. Um, and obviously, Oklahoma City being one of the largest is the most visible. Um, so talk to us about mid-year adjustment. This has been a, a big deal for everybody across the state in a way that it hasn't been in the past. Can you kind of talk about what's going on?
3: Sure. I mean, it, you know, a lot of my comments are probably going to begin with the word pandemic. Uh, as <laughs> sure, yeah. as I hate that. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've all been uh, on this pathway together for, gosh, almost a year now. Yeah. And so one of the reasons our midterm was more significant not just to us but statewide is because of the loss of enrollment and so as you all know anytime you lose enrollment that is a significant or the primary source of our revenue that's how we get our money right. and so we lost a lot of kids and as a result of that and when i say lost them uh, our enrollment declined much more so than it has uh, over the past several years yeah. so that equates to loss of of funding. And so we're all wrestling with that now. And we saw a bulk of that at midterm, just the way school finance in Oklahoma works. Uh, You know, we have to staff and make decisions well in advance of what we expect that midterm adjustment to look like.
0: So when you talk about loss of enrollment, what does that look like? Like where, where, where are these kids?
3: Yeah, great question. We we know where some of them are. We think we know where others are, and then we really don't know where another handful would be. And so we know in Oklahoma City Public Schools we lost uh, between forty eight hundred and five thousand kids all all told from October one last year to October one this year uh, this school year. Wow. And so. Uh, a huge percentage of of that loss came from our pre-K and our kindergarten numbers, where we saw probably, don't quote me, I'm pretty close, I think, we saw about a 30% loss in what we expected in pre-K. Oh, man. And then about a 10% loss uh, in our kindergarten kids. And so uh, that was the bulk of it. Um, and so what we do, you know, we, we get funded uh Primarily based on how we ended last year. So we get our October 1 count a year ago, then we adjust in December, January, and then we see what our final count was at the end of the year, and we give kind of a tentative funding for this year. Yeah. And then they adjust that again at midterm, and we, because we lost so many kids, we got hammered at midterm. Yeah. I think what the frustrating thing is is as we're getting hammered, we expect that a little bit because we're in decline. Sure, but we see our our virtual neighbors. Uh, I mean, it was it was a, a windfall. Yes, and that's that's hard to take. It's frustrating, but uh, that's the way that's the way it goes here. That's not. I mean, nobody's cheating. That's just the way it's uh, it works with our our funding formula in Oklahoma.
0: But what about? I mean, so when you when you talk about the windfall, and that's such a perfect word for it. What about, you know, at post COVID, because we know that a lot of parents um, are making decisions based on is this district in person? Is this district virtual? Um, What happens with sort of that enrollment bounce back when the pandemic ends, and families that maybe were afraid of going in person um, now feel comfortable with it? How do you I mean, that seems like a budget challenge.
3: Yeah, it is. And I'd even back up a little bit from um, post-pandemic, post-October 1. Yeah. Um, We're still in the pandemic, and we've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of kids who are in a virtual charter school return to our school district. So that's good news in that we brought some of our kids home. Yeah. The bad news is, again, pointing to the funding formula, we don't get a dime for any student who returns to us after October 1. yeah. So we now have kids in classrooms, classroom sizes have grown, though virtual, it's still a load on our teachers. Right, right. Um, And so now we look forward to post-pandemic. And it goes back to how we end the year and then really largely what our October 1, 2021 count looks like. So for all the kids who return post-pandemic, as long as they stay, we'll get funded for them. Yeah. Um, but again, it's it's a crapshoot because we have to make decisions about programming and personnel before we know who's going to be sitting in our chairs right. in October. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's tough. It's, it's a challenge. There's no okay. doubt about
1: it. And and we know that we had the first CARES Act, and then we got. Uh, a second round of CARES Act no. or in the process of getting a second round of CARES Act. How, um, right. how did, how did Oklahoma City Public use your CARES Act funding and how do you decide what the priorities are, uh, when, when you get the federal funding like
2: that?
3: Well, let me start with that because that's really an important question for us. Um, how do we decide, you know, we have, uh, a lot of different types of analysis that we use. We have a strategic plan that kind of guides, uh, not kind of, it guides our decision making. We use it as a filter. We know certain things about school, like it's important to keep class sizes low. We know how important nurses and counselors are. And so as we've identified our filter, those things, we then say, okay, we've got this stimulus money. You know, for us, uh, round one was, Oh, I don't have it in front of me, but pushing $30 million. Round mm-hmm. two is going to be about $73 million. And so you think, holy cow, $100 million. Well, r- remember that we have a lot of kids. We're a humongous district. yeah, uh, And with that come a lot of challenges and a lot of needs that are directly related to this pandemic. So we think it's important that we have PPE. We think it's important that we have counselors and nurses. We think it's important that uh, anything that we see as a challenge when it comes to the pandemic, we're able to meet that challenge. So, you know, one of the big pushes was let's go online. You know, we we got shut down last March, no choice in the matter. We got shut down and we, we figured out pretty quickly Now, we got kids without devices. And even if they have devices, they don't have connectivity like like all districts are dealing with. So we leveraged a lot of CARES money toward let's make sure every kid has a device and let's make sure every household has connectivity. And and so we eat through uh, money very quickly around here in trying to meet the needs and fill the gaps that, and present themselves. But, to, you know, you know just so that's to, a lot of it. Um, a lot let of it's tied me interject up in Sean,
0: personnel. Real, let me, I'm sorry. Let me just interject something. I just want to pause and, yeah. and contemplate what you just talked about. Because we've sort of taken it for granted, in my view. Uh So many districts, you know, wrestled with these same challenges and, and flip their CARES money into this and use some of their own funding. But going one-to-one is like this massive undertaking that most districts that had you know districts that had it before covid i mean those are bond issues that's like right. a, a huge planning and huge expense that's something that people bond for it's not so i i i just want to pause and just emphasize that that's a i know that you you made it sound easy but it's
3: it's not you know it's it's huge oh man it was uh it was one of the most difficult pieces to this um and you know we have a Dr. Rebecca Kay uh, leads our IT initiative. And so, I mean, th- when you talk about going from not one to one to one to one in a district our size, usually the planning, uh, the development, the the uh, rollout, it'll take you 18 months. Yeah. We were forced to do it in like two months right. or less. Right. And so we just leveraged. Uh, all the manpower, all the resources we had. Uh, we had some great partnershiping that, that occurred, which, by the way, is one of the silver linings out of this pandemic, is it really tightened up our efficiencies and it, it tightened up our partnershiping. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that we did that that we're going to be able to take along with us far beyond uh, the pandemic. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we had to Pull some rabbits out of hats. There's
1: no <laughs> doubt about it. And and amazing uh, rabbits. I mean, <laughs> seriously, all <laughs> the rabbits, all the hats, I all the hats, yeah. and all the rabbits. And and one of the things that I'm, Im- impressed by was your thought to buy uh, the air filtration systems for for every room. Um and and I think that that is an amazing accomplishment. Uh, and feet in itself, and getting all of those um, installed in the rooms. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, for for safety, I mean, that's got to be a gold standard for making sure that that our students and staff are safe.
3: Well, we like to think so. And again, hats off to Scott Randall and our operations team uh, in, you know, not not just jumping at the first vendor who said, "Hey, we got we got a deal for you." Yeah, I mean, you right. vetted this. You know, we we spent a lot of time, well, a lot of time as quickly as we could up front, <laughs> sure. making sure that that this was a, a sound uh, product that would be sustainable, and we believe we got that. But sure, you know, one of the things we hear all the time from parents and other caregivers and our faculty and staff is just a confidence level. We want to be confident in yeah. those making decisions, but we also want to be confident in the environment that we're coming back into. Um, And and so it's a matter of these layers of safety. We've talked a lot about the washing hands and masking up and social distancing. We all think we do that pretty well. It's what's next. What are the other layers that we can provide to get that confidence level high? And we think this ionization provided that additional layer of confidence and safety. It's not just bells and whistles. It really works.
0: And that's CARES Act money right federal
3: federal money yeah well uh, boy <laughs> you kind of put me on the spot there it was a let's say it was an anonymous donor who pitched in a million dollars to help us with the project um, and I'll be real specific about that uh, we had as a part of the city of Oklahoma City's care funds uh, they provided us with a million dollars um, and we leveraged that against PPE and Uh, some of our uh, personnel costs, but Mm -hmm. what it did is it freed up money that we had obligated to those things that we could then leverage against this ionization, if that makes sense. So again, just another example of, you know, partners around the city who identify a need and they believe they could help and man, did they step up and help. That's amazing. So we appreciate that. But yeah, it was a big step for us.
1: That, that That's one thing that we don't celebrate enough is that community school partnerships yep. and um, and those those anonymous and not as anonymous donors that step up mm-hmm. and and really help our kids out.
3: Well, you're right we uh, we need to be more thoughtful, more strategic about how we celebrate that. Uh, there's no way, and I'm sure you've heard other school leaders, board members say the same thing, there is no way districts do what we do. Uh, By ourselves. We just couldn't make it happen. We rely. We've come to really rely on our community. And every time um, our community comes through in one way or another. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, we we need to do a better job of pronouncing that and making sure that people know that we're in this together. So
0: the with the mid-year adjustments affecting so many school districts you've got cares act money that's distributed based on title one right now there are districts that are coming out even districts coming out behind Um, how what are some solutions that we need from state lawmakers right now
3: you know there are a couple things that we talk about around here one you know my encouragement to our lawmakers is that we don't look at pandemic and stimulus and the funds that we're receiving as uh, kind of that mentality of, well, they've got money coming in, this will help them, and so we really don't need to fund them like we would in a typical year. This this is truly to fill gaps created by the pandemic. Our state aid and our uh, funding that comes from uh, the legislature has got to be another step in the right direction. We're still going to have great needs two years from now mm-hmm. that, you know, once mm-hmm. this pandemic money runs out, um, we're going to have some tough decisions to make if lawmakers don't step in and say, we've got to set that aside and isolate, uh, stimulus money and look at this agency just like we always have. And they've, the last few years, they've been pretty good at it where they, they look at us as truly a core service. Mm-hmm. And they protected us somewhat from cuts um, the last couple of years. And then the years prior, we, we uh, they did. They did good. Yeah. yeah. We need them to do good again. We, we, we yes, don't please. need them to take the easy way out and say, well, they've got stimulus. That'll get them by for another couple of years. Mm-hmm. Let's direct our attention elsewhere. We've got to have them make difficult decisions like they always do and fund public schools or we're going to hit a cliff. Um, and it's going to be back to 2008 again. Let's not, let's not do that.
0: Right. And, and now, now, let me, let pass. Let, I pass.
3: Let, let me add one more <laughs> thing. Um, I, I got on a roll there. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. Stimulant. This but, is the place uh, for roles. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, let me preface my comments here with, with this. I, I am in favor of an education that works best for a family. Um, I am not necessarily uh, pro or anti-choice if that makes sense. I think that's a family decision that that needs to be made whether I go to a private school or a charter school or a public school or whatever mm-hmm. but what I would what I would really encourage lawmakers to do is pay attention pay very close attention to uh, that delivery system that appeals to ninety plus percent of our our kids. And that's the public school system right now for me. And of course, I'm biased because I'm a public school guy. um, This is not the time to have deep, long conversations about uh, innovative ways to finance uh, an education for a kid who doesn't choose public education, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not anti
3: anything, really. I mean, I I think there are is certainly a place in our city in our community for options but right now public schools are hurting badly Mm -hmm. and you know it does not look from where i sit like over the next two or three years suddenly things are going to get rosy quickly we need all hands on deck when it comes to public school funding um so i would just encourage that that let's have those conversations um and let's make sure that we're taking care of the 90% who choose, uh, public schools as, as their delivery method, the neighborhood schools, the uh, mm-hmm. traditional public mm-hmm. schools, et cetera. So that was kind of straddling the fence there. I did you know, it was
0: very polite. It it was, it was that very, was yeah. very nice. It was very nice.
3: Well, we've got great educators in private schools. We've got great families and great educators in charters and virtuals. And I know that there is a narrative that charter schools, our public schools and i don't dispute that but the funding is different yeah and so what yeah. i'm suggesting is let's pay attention um to public schools and make sure that our public schools are funded adequately mm-hmm.
1: absolutely and um we'll wrap up with kind of a fun question uh, okay so if you had a magic wand to fix uh, to fix public education or to have people fix public education where where would you use that magic wand if you had let's say three three wishes through the magic wand i think it's a lamp wow. at that point okay if you rub well, the lamp and a genie <laughs> came out and said what are your three <laughs> public education wishes <laughs> how many disney so, movies can i put in that
3: <laughs> yeah it, it may be a little bit uh, conceptual but i've got it i've got it I'm going to redirect a little bit you said what would i do to fix public education i personally don't think public education is broken yes uh we hear that narrative from time to time and i am totally 100 percent opposed to that notion i think we've got work to do i think we can all improve sure sure um but i'm telling you this generation of kids uh is the most creative innovative exciting i'm so glad our future is in their hands group of kids I've ever seen. So I'm excited about it. So conceptually, what would I do? It it has to revolve around the two most important pieces of of schooling, which are kids and teachers. So I would want for our teachers uh, to, if I could wave uh, wave the magic wand, I would want them to have all the resources they need to perform at their peak. Um, I would not want them to have to spend – Money, although they still would because that's the heart of a teacher. I wouldn't want them to have to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars a year yeah. just to get the basics. Yeah, um, I would want smaller class sizes. I would want teachers who uh, can leverage their own innovation and creativity in the classroom with all of this bureaucracy hanging over them. For kids, I would want um, all the the levels and measures of resources that would help them to reach their potential, whether it's social resources, emotional resources, Mm -hmm. mental health resources. I would want them all to have the very best, most effective teacher on the planet in their classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So my, my wants and wishes, and we talk about this around here all the time. How do we get from where we are to making these dreams come true for our kids and for our teachers But um, we've got a ways to go and we need help to do it, but that's what I wish. That's what my magic wand would, would do. And we're trying to move in that direction. That's just, uh, man, we're not moving fast enough. Uh,
1: it's, it's hard to be patient good when, yeah. when you're trying to do what's right for kids. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We all want yeah. it to be right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Dr. McDaniel for taking time to, uh, talk, talk finance with us. We know that's a party anytime. Yeah, everybody loves it. So we appreciate uh, we appreciate your time and what you do uh, for Oklahoma City Public Schools.
1: Absolutely.
3: Well, I love my job, and I love uh, I love what Oklahoma City Public Schools represents. And so, anytime, let me know, and we'll have another party. All right. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right. Talk to y'all later.
1: And welcome to Alicia's morning announcements. Doo, 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 doo. All right, we've got several things going on in the next week. January 31st, if you live in the Oklahoma City Public School area, they are uh, Voice, one of our partner organizations, Voters Organized in Civic Engagement, uh, is having a forum for the Oklahoma City Public School Board chair. So um, it's Really is I've I've worked on this um, this assignment with them, and uh, and they're going to be asking some really tough questions to um, to the the three people running for board chair. So that's Sunday, the thirty first of January at four o'clock on the Voice Facebook page. I'll be watching. It is uh, it's going to be fantastic. Um, Also, we have on February second the first of two town halls with superintendent joy hoffmeister a way for her to get some contact with educators across the state mm-hmm. uh since we're in of course as you know COVID times COVID times mwah, mwah. <laughs> I know. uh and so that is february 2nd from 7 to 8 30. so join that um, the link has been in the edge you can find uh, a registration on the facebook page or I think just watch Facebook Live yeah. if you don't want to ask questions. Yeah. Um, but if you do want to ask questions, then um, then you'd want to register. Uh, OEA members only can ask questions. Uh, anyone can watch it on Facebook Live. Um, Thursday, February 4th is the second of two roundtable discussions with NEA Director Shawna Mott-Wright and OEA Vice President Catherine Bishop talking about um, what do you need coming back from COVID? Mm-hmm. What, what do our students need? Yeah. Um, and, and this is really, uh, a, a, a ask from NEA to have some listening sessions because they are taking all of the information that we send them and taking some best practices and, and, uh, putting those forth to the white house. So, um, that's cool. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot that we need and we need to get that, that voice out, but there's a lot that's gone right in the Mm -hmm. world Mm -hmm. of education. And so we also want to put forth policies that have really worked. Yep. Showcase those. And then, and backing up just a little bit to uh Monday. Oh, uh, is the state of the state. Yep. So, um, we, we are super, uh, excited yeah. To um, come to the office and watch that as a small group, and 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 see see what the governor says about how public education is failing our students. I
0: <laughs> it is not. Spoiler alert: it's not. Um, I yeah. I will be here. I will be here, ready to watch and ready to listen. I am. I am betting on the word union being in there. That I just I. That's my, like, buzzword. I'm, I'm sure it's unions will be blamed for yes the pandemic, for rural broadband connectivity, for everything. It's all our fault. Um, so I am I will be here. I'll be here as well. Socially distanced, eating pizza and thinking my own thoughts to myself.
1: But then I'm also going to think back to what Sean McDaniel said. Dr. McDaniel mm-hmm. said um, when I asked um, if you had a magic wand, what would you fix? And he said fix means that there was something that is right. broken. right. Right. And um, our schools aren't broken.
0: They aren't. And they're, man, teachers, you listen to me. You guys are amazing. And I and I people aren't saying that right now. You just hear from people who are being hateful and treating you like you aren't trying or you are having a vacation. And we know you aren't. You are working your tails off and you're doing it for your kids when they need you the most. And anyone who
1: doesn't acknowledge that is ignorant of fact.
0: I I think ignorant is polite. Thank you, because I was going to say something else. (laughs) Um, Well. So we'll be back next week with all kinds of uh, wrap-up after the State of the State. I'm sure it'll be delightful. Um, We want to say thank you. to We've had amazing guests today. Thank you to Amanda Ewing of uh, Legislative and Political Organizing. Thank you, Scott Demaro of uh, Ohio for being the ghost of Christmas Future. Thank you to Dr. Sean McDaniel of Oklahoma City Public Schools. And thank you for joining us today and uh, listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association.
1: And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at podcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.